Welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by female entrepreneurs, hosted by the Entrepreneurs Network, the most acclaimed female entrepreneur network in the world. Each week, we bring to you stories of female entrepreneurs around the world as we kickstart our entrepreneurial journeys together. Today, we are delighted to have on Sophia Heck, founder and CEO of Muslim Women Professionals, a community that promotes professional development through engagement, education, and resources for Muslim women. She is also a venture associate at Republic, a program for MBA and mid-level career participants interested in learning the fundamentals of VC and angel investing. She serves as a mentor at Startup Labs UCLA, helping early stage entrepreneurs in all aspects of their entrepreneurial journey. She was also an ambassador to the United States of Women, a national organization dedicated to convening, connecting, and amplifying voices in the fight for a full gender equity. Join us as we talk with Sophia about how to embrace your identity and thrive through challenges you face on your entrepreneurial journey. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited today to have Sophia on the pod. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Wonderful. Thanks so much. Uh, So just to get started, we'd love to ask all our guests, what is something that excites you when you wake up in the morning? Oh my gosh, what an amazing question to ask. Um, I would say what excites me every morning is the opportunity to make an impact, whether it be in my community, whether it be in my family, whether it be in my friend groups. Um, I feel like what kind of motivates me is just the opportunity of, of, you know, what ideas may come about and what impact we can make with those ideas. We as in myself. <laughs> I, am we. I am we. We is me. I love that. <laughs> yes, of course. And so what, what is that idea currently? What are you currently working on? And if you can give us a short bio of who you are and what you are doing as of right now. Of course. So my name is Sophia. I was born and raised in Southern California. I went to UCLA where I graduated in 2015. I studied gender studies and then briefly studied uh, abroad at the London School of Economics and studied international business there for a summer. And I think that that was just one of the most one of the defining moments of my life was being at LSC to this day. I, I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to go there because I think it just really brought up this passion that I I feel like I always had a business, but I never really had the opportunity to explore it at UCLA. And so LSE really gave me that. And I think that now fast forward a few years later, um, you know, I've started an organization for Muslim women called Muslim Women Professionals, also known as MWP. And so our goal is to empower, educate, and mobilize a global network of Muslim women. I think that what it means to be Muslim for so many of us is, is, honestly, being Muslim is how we live our lives. And I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand that if you're an outsider kind of looking in, but I feel like within our community, you know, being Muslim is such a huge part of our identity and as well as being women and also whether it be having a career or raising a family, like those are such 
big parts of who we are. And so our organization really strives to build this really strong community of women where we're collaborating, not competing, where we're uplifting one another. And our goal is really just to see more Muslim women in executive roles, see more Muslim founders, see more Muslim women who just feel empowered to be their authentic selves. Aside from that, I am currently a venture associate at Republic and uh, within their venture associate program, I am really passionate about investing specifically within this space as an entrepreneur who's been able to start an organization. I've seen firsthand the lack of capital that is accessible specifically to women of color, but even in particular um, to Arab, South Asian, Latinas, and also Black women, of course. Um, and then aside from that, <laughs> I, um, I have a lot of ideas that I have. I actually have a journal that I, I, I go to therapy I, and I'm a huge pro uh, proponent of therapy and my we love therapy. Yes, we love therapy, therapy is everything. We are all therapized. Yes. And so my therapist was like, you have a lot of ideas, write them in your journal. And so, um, I have a lot of ideas and I think a lot of them are sent, are really focused on helping my community, but just in different ways. And so um, I feel like deep down, I'm, I'm definitely an entrepreneur and have this entrepreneurial mindset, but I think I'm also really passionate about helping founders, especially BIPOC and female and or female founders around helping them kind of visualize what their business is going to look like. Um, and so that's just some of the things that I'm working on right now. That is amazing. And I love how diverse it is too. It's not like you're just doing things in like art or tech or uh, community building. Like you're clearly having your hands in lots of different um, pots or bags or whatever the saying is. I think that's really <laughs> fantastic. Um, but clearly there seems to be some general thread of why you get into something. So I'm curious to hear like when you get into a new venture, a new project, what is the why? What is the deciding factor if you want to get involved in something and not? What's your driving why? Wow, these questions are fantastic, first of all. I love these <laughs> questions. Um, with that, um, I think that at the core of everything I do is really not myself. I am always someone who's thinking about how is this impacting people who look like me? How is this impacting you know, underrepresented communities? I think that being at the intersectionality of so many communities that get a lot of hate, unfortunately, right? Being South Asian, Pakistani in particular, being Latina, Mexican in particular, being Muslim. Um, I'm also like part Arab, like a little bit on my dad's side. So there's just so many different communities that I am a part of. And I feel like I have always been that person. And I think it's a testament to my parents. It's like, how is this impacting my community? How is this, you know, um, positively, negatively impacting my community? And how do I want to change it? And I think that one of the examples is through, you know, being a part of or creating Muslim women professionals and then, you know, being an entrepreneur and now, you know, meeting other female entrepreneurs who are Muslim as well and learning about the str their struggles and learning about, you know, the struggles of getting access to capital and the struggles of, you know, finding resources to help them build their businesses, especially when so many of them don't have a formal background in business. All of that has been, you know, such a huge inspiration for me. And I think that that's what also kind of led me to even Republic now, right? And wanting to be a part of this program is, you know, I didn't know anything about investing. I just kind of knew 
this is something I want to do. I want to make a difference in my community. This is how I see myself doing that. And I think that initially I kind of thought maybe I'll do it when I'm older, you know, thought about that. But in being a part of the Grid 110 program and speaking to people like Mickey Reynolds, who actually founded Grid 110, and Elizabeth Tuchas, who is, um, I believe she's a community manager at Grid 110. Um, um, and speaking with them, they were just so encouraging. They were just like, this is something you're clearly passionate about. And, you know, you should just explore it now. And so I was so fortunate to be a part of the Venture Associate Program. It was a really competitive program. Waylon got into the program as well. And it's a very competitive program. And I think that what I have been so happy about is the opportunity to really take these resources and think about the ways in which I want to make my community better from, you know, from utilizing them. So. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think I want to highlight two main things. The fact that you're so driven that even when you get this opportunity, you're really trying to make the most out of it is something that I think we can all take away from and you're just hard work. Um, but also second is your selflessness when it comes to the entrepreneurship. I feel like entrepreneurship is oftentimes just driven by like selfishness. Like people want to just be the best and make as much money as possible. But what I really see from you and what you're driven by and your why is really the selflessness and building a community that uplifts each other. And I would love to explore more about, um, I think oftentimes people of color, especially women of color, we see statistics about them in the venture capital world and we don't know much more behind the statistics. Um, how is your organization helping to kind of uncover these stories? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like our organization is still fairly young but I think that we already have an idea of what we want to do. And I think that for a lot of us, it's this idea that, oh, I don't know any Muslim women within the VC space, or I don't know Muslim women in, in the tech sphere, or I don't know Muslim women in nursing, you know, maybe, you know, a handful, but that's it. And I think that for us, our goal is really to bring these women and gather these women um, and, and bring them to these spaces and almost make them, um, accessible to other Muslim women who are interested in connecting with them. I feel like for a lot of us, especially Muslim women, um, our community is just so diverse. And I feel like we are having to go through a ton of obstacles to get to where we are. And so I think for, for us, the most impor important part of that is really making sure that we remind Muslim women in particular that whatever their goals are, they are within reach. And by promoting that, we're bringing these women as well to kind of just support that, right? So it's like, I wanna be in BC. It's like, that's fantastic. Let us bring you some Muslim women within the VC sphere and let's have a panel and let's have you ask them questions about their journeys to the VC sector. So, you know, we had an example a few months ago where we brought, um, some of the representatives who are Muslim women uh, within their states um, in Colorado, Iman Jode, you know, we brought Medina Wilson-Anton, who is in with the, within the House of Representatives in, in Delaware, and then we brought Mayor Farah Khan of Irvine, California, like these are all Muslim women, they're all diverse, and for so many Muslim women who are interested in going into politics, it's very difficult to get access to women like Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. And so for us, it was really amazing to, that these women agreed to be able to come into these spaces and really give other Muslim women reassurance that they were capable of being in those spaces as well. 
that is so, so, so powerful. And I could not resonate with you more about the need for diversity across religions, across backgrounds and everything, especially in entrepreneurship, because I think it breeds different ideas. If everyone thinks and it has the same background, you're not going to have new ideas. You're just going to be an echo chamber. So to kind of double down on that, why do you think diversity is so important, especially now in the age of social media, the age of Gen Z, the age of COVID? Why do we need diversity in all respects for a successful company, successful organization? Statistics have actually shown that having diversity within your companies makes your companies more successful. So I don't think it's even an issue of, you know, uh, is this going to be a good decision? It's like, statistics have proven that they, that this is a good decision. I think also in the times that we're in, I mean, I'm, I'm an example of it. I'm, you know, multi-ethnic, I'm Muslim, you know, and now we see interracial marriages normalized, you know, whereas my parents, even in the eighties and nineties, it's just, it was still very, very frowned upon in a lot of communities. And so it's become so much more, I guess, mainstream and so much more embraced. And I think that as we see people mixing and as we see more diversity within these spaces, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely necessary because I personally believe that your consumers, your users, et cetera, they need to be reflected in the leadership as well. And I think that now more than ever, we see people being a lot more selective with where they purchase products from, right? It's not just a matter of values. It's also a matter of what does this company look like? You know, I personally am more inclined like to buy from a company that I know is female founded or has, you know, women or people of color in their leadership than I would be of a company that is just all white. You know, if you gave me, you know, the same type of company, same quality, everything. And I had to, and I was literally choosing between just the differences in leadership. And I saw diversity within one and didn't see any diversity in the other. I'm going to choose the one that has the diversity. And again, people are being more selective with, with where they purchase products from. And I think that it's because people recognize the value that they have as users, as consumers, et cetera. And I think that any company that is not willing to really put diversity at the forefront of what they're doing is only going to suffer in years to come. 100% agree. I feel like diversity is being slowly and definitely could be faster, but is definitely becoming a priority for a lot of companies when you see them almost getting hate for not having diversity mm-hmm. at this point. Absolutely. Um, but I would love for you to shout out a couple brands or companies that you know um, that are Muslim woman owned, because I would love for our audience and ourselves to be able to support these wonderful companies. Yeah, of course. So one is, and I pro- I mentioned her all the time at this point, I feel like she's like, she's not tired of it, but she's one of my (laughs) friends and she's like, so there's a company called Kanafe Queens and it is, Kanafe is an Arab dessert. She's Palestinian and it was started by her and her daughter. And it's just like, I mean, like the Hadids, you know, are like huge fans of her, like Anwar Hadid is like a huge fan of like her, her items. I mean, there's so many celebrities at this point who are like now, um, all about her Kanafe, but Kanafe Queens is one, it's Palestinian Muslim owned. Another one is Skin Muse and it's uh, black owned. Uh, Ezene is a founder and I met her through Grid 110 and it's um, 
I believe it's like organic uh, oils and candles and all those things. Another is Glory Skincare, uh, a company I worked for um, that is, you know, black owned and is all about clean beauty, uh, specifically meant for melanin rich skin. And then in terms of Latina founders, there's Shop Latinx, which is a marketplace for Latinx and uh, BIPOC slash female uh, founders and companies or founded companies. Um, and they're doing fantastic work. Um, and yeah, those are just those are just some of them that I can think of um, off the top of my head. No, that's fantastic. We're definitely going to be sharing those with our audience, linking them below, all that fun stuff. So switching gears a little bit, I'm curious to hear how your education being at UCLA helped drive your entrepreneurial journey, helped you connect with others, any classes you took, communities, clubs, where do you think college played a role in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so it's really interesting because I feel like entrepreneurship, when I think about it, you know, when I think about this idea of always asking questions and always coming up with new ideas. I feel like that honestly started in my childhood. I think that having parents that were from very two, very different cultures, but who both were, you know, working um, specifically, like my dad worked in like operations and my mom worked in like HR. I feel like they were just always thinking of ideas, like always, like, how do we make this better? How do we tailor it to like you know, people who look like us. And I, and I feel like at a very young age, it's funny, my siblings and I always say this, I feel like we all learned what customer service was at such a young age from our parents. And I feel like deep down, we've all kind of been, I feel like deep down, we all kind of had entrepreneurial mindsets at, at very young ages because of my parents. Um, and I think that that is what kind of led my siblings as well as myself to be very ambitious and to want to be in leadership roles in high school and I think when I was at UCLA it, it sucked because we didn't really have an entrepreneurship minor or anything like that now there is one there was business econ but there wasn't business admin and so there weren't a lot of opportunities for me to like really explore that it wasn't until I got the opportunity to study abroad at the London School of Economics um for a summer, I got to study international business. That was like the defining moment, I think, for me. And, I, and I'm and i so grateful to this day that I got the opportunity to go to LSC. And, and sometimes I think like if I went back to school, I would probably, I would definitely consider LSC again because to be in a classroom with so many people from all over the world where, you know, you're sharing, you're exchanging ideas, you're really having the opportunity to question everything, right? Because UCLA is an amazing school, but it's a it's a theory-based institution. Whereas LSC was like, do whatever, like, you know, explore everything. And it was just such an amazing experience for me. I got to take management courses. I got to take courses around like trade development and environment was a course I took. And it was just so interesting understanding trade within different countries and how, you know, the political and, you know, cultural, et cetera, climates like impacted trade. And I was just so fascinated by all of that. But I think that college is such an amazing opportunity for people to explore and I think that for me especially maybe being like first generation you know American I guess for me I was so gung-ho on not making mistakes and I feel like I focused so much on that instead of really giving myself the opportunity to explore and I think that that's a piece of advice that I give 
all my, you know, mentees or, you know, my friend's siblings now that they're, you know, getting older, my nieces and nephews that are going to college, I'm like, yes, you can be a nursing major, but like, take a course in business if you're interested, you know, like, explore, like, it shouldn't be just about this is my path and that's it. I feel like where do you, where else or when else do you get the opportunity to really just explore these different areas? And you never know, you could end up at the intersectionality of like healthcare and business. You can end up at the intersectionality of like entertainment and tech. And so I feel like looking back, yes, LSE was like the most amazing opportunity. And I feel like it just taught me that, you know, if I go back to school, you know, let's say for like an MBA or whatever, I don't want to just be so niche either. I want to also give myself the opportunity to explore um, because that's what college is about, in my opinion. I completely agree. I feel like coming into college, I had this like preconceived notion that I was going to be an economics major and just mm -hmm. take only econ classes. And I got here the first day of school, heard about all of the different majors my friends were taking and then just emailed the dean and switched my major on the first day and continued to switch and continuing yep. to switch my major um, <laughs> with, the, with the different classes I'm taking. So I definitely resonate a lot with that. Um, kind of focusing more on your entrepreneurship journey, um, I would love to hear more about how your journey and specifically being a, like a member of the BIPOC community, how that has kind of shaped your definition of failure um, and what failure means to you? I, I'm going to be quite honest. Being a BIPOC founder is by far one of the most difficult things ever. Because not only are you dealing with this imposter syndrome sometimes and this lack of confidence that comes with being especially a female founder, but you're also dealing with just so many other you know, um, factors that I feel like a lot of people may not necessarily deal with. Like for me, I feel like I took a very non-traditional route and it's been very difficult. And a lot of people don't talk about that. Like, you know, I left a secure full-time job to start my organization and it's kind of been very much this windy road ever since. And I feel like people don't necessarily talk about that. And not to mention, I think, you know, especially in, in those early years of Muslim women professionals, a lot of people were not very supportive. Um, a lot of people kind of just overlooked us. You know, they were just like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? And that was even within the community as well. And I think people kind of expected us to fail early on. Um, and I think that that's a hard part sometimes is sometimes you feel like not only am I battling my own maybe imposter syndrome but now I have a team and I have to kind of lead by example and then you know I'm also dealing with the lack of resources that are sometimes available to BIPOC founders um, as a Muslim woman I'm dealing with Islamophobia um, I'm also dealing with just you know <laughs> I mean with lack of stability right like I think being an entrepreneur, you're like, my God, the one thing I want is just stability. Like that's like consistency. And I think that for myself, it's been such a journey with my, like even with my, with my confidence, it's been such a journey with even building my skill set. Um, and 
also just kind of like mentally with my mental health, my mental health has definitely suffered so much in these past few years. And I think it wasn't until last year where I kind of made the decision. I was like, I need to go to therapy. I need to, yes, yes, therapy all day. I need to be consistent about my therapy because some people go to therapy and they just go to kind of like vent and they yeah. don't do, you don't do the homework. And for me, I was like, or you don't do the work, but I, for me, I was like, I'm going to do the work. So literally like got my like little journal. I literally take, I like, I do my peaks and pits of every week. So I'm like, these are my peaks. These are my pits. This is where I'm struggling. And, and then I take notes like crazy. And uh, my therapist just laughs at me because I've recommended probably like five people to her. And I'm like, I laugh, I make a joke to her. I'm like, you're literally just going to be the therapist for like the Muslim community of Southern California. Um, and she just laughs. Um, but, um, but for me, it was like, I, I need to put myself first. And so I think that as an entrepreneur, especially as a BIPOC and female founder, we just get, we just have to deal with so much. But I think that the pro of it is that, or like the, what comes out of it, I don't want to say the pro, but what comes out of it is you would just build your resilience to a level that most people would never be able to build it, right? Because not only are you dealing with all these societal factors um, of, uh, you know, what it means to be BIPOC and female and et cetera, but of course you're dealing with what it means to kind of struggle as an entrepreneur and what it means to build a team um, and, and yeah, it's just very difficult, but I feel like I've learned so much being uh, an entrepreneur for sure. That's amazing. 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 And on the note of learning so much, what do you think is the number one lesson we've learned? And with that, what has brought, how has that lesson brought you to like a peak in your entrepreneurial career? And sometimes this lesson been in response to maybe like a trough in your career. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I th- also, before, I just want to say thank you for being so honest about your experience. Oh, I think sometimes, um, especially like the young girls that listen to this, like this podcast, I think that's definitely so important for them to hear that the struggles are real and that their feelings are valid throughout the journey. Because I think you're definitely right in saying there is a lot more like there's only there's like the layer of like being a female, but then there's like that extra layer that nobody really talks about. So I really appreciate your candid. Yeah. Yeah. like the intersectionality of it all like being having multiple identities it's like you're not just a female you're not just this it's like so many different niches and like that creates layers but also complexities but also competitive advantage spins in many ways like this is isn't it recently but like each of these like unique identities gives you like an edge and is like a competitive advantage if you want to spin it in some way you can say like no it's not a disadvantage that I'm this it's like to my advantage I am so cool I've got this background I can use it um and it empowers you so yeah I just I echo what Wayland said. She's totally spot on. No, thank you for that. And I feel like even one thing that I forgot to talk about was like cultural norms as well, right? Being a part of these communities, like I feel like especially being like a South Asian and Latina and a Muslim woman, like I feel like people are almost like they frown upon entrepreneurship until you literally make a breakthrough basically is like, so this whole time, not only are you having to deal with all these different components, but now you're dealing with maybe a community that's like, is it going to be as successful as she thinks it's going to be, you know, like people who maybe think too, like she's not married. And these are things that we deal with, especially as women. It's like, they never ask men, like, when are you going to get married when they're an entrepreneur, let alone maybe, you know, a Muslim male entrepreneur. It's like, no, but I, as a woman am going to get asked by many people, 
well, when are you going to get married? And when are you going to have kids? Like, that's the most important part. And it was interesting because I think one of my friends has a podcast and, and hearing her podcast, she said something really amazing. Um, it was her and uh, her name's Jenya and it's Unsweetened Unfiltered. And it's, she was interviewing Alana Hadid. And I love what they were talking about that, like they're in their thirties and they're not married and they don't have kids. And at times, yes, they feel almost insecure about it. Yes, it's very easy to, but now being in their 30s, they're very unapologetic because they realize the beauty in what they're creating, right? They're seeing now the fruits of their labor, basically. And so I just thought, thought that that was so amazing. And, and I feel like it was a testament to like time as a whole. Um, I think especially as women, we tend to want to please everyone sometimes because we are very emotionally aware and we're very empathetic, right? But I think that one of the biggest things that I learned, especially in going into like the grade one 10 accelerator was at the end of the day, as a founder, I'm going to know my company the most. I am going to know every single area of it. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have to make difficult decisions, which are sometimes not going to please everyone. And I think that before that, I was always like, trying to please everyone right so it was like this impossible task of like how do I please her but then how do I please her when both of them want different things and then you know what I'm just gonna wait and you know maybe I'll figure it out and then it just you know you suffer mentally and your business suffers as well and so I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give um you know young female founders especially is you are not going to be able to please everyone. So stop trying to please everyone. At the end of the day, you are going to know your business in and out. You are going to be the one that's going to have to make some difficult decisions and you need to be comfortable in, in doing so. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about our consumers. It's about our users, et cetera. Like those are the people that we're putting at the forefront. So um, so just, you know, to lead with that is the most important thing. And, um, you know, I think being assertive is going to be, yes, sometimes very difficult, but, um, but very, very important, especially as you move forward. I love that so much. And I think that's important for pretty much anyone to hear. I think a lot of girls, I read an article recently that said, at the age of six, um, women or girls are able to distinguish mm. like between mm. the differences between men and female or males and females. And at the, like before even like entering college, they already have a pre, like a distinction between like what jobs are available for them and like what jobs are available for, for men. And I just thought that was so shocking to hear and definitely not a reality we want to continue living through. Right. Um, yeah, as we begin to wrap up the podcast, uh, we love to ask our guests, what is something that you love about yourself today? Oh my God, such good questions. And th no, this is not me being a narcissist. It's just like self-love. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> You're a therapist um, with support. I know, she would totally support. She'd be like, yeah, oh, time you said something positive about yourself. Um, <laughs> she's so sassy, it's hilarious. Um, um, I would say what I love about myself is my optimism. I feel like I could be going through some really difficult times, whether it be through my organization, personally, professionally, but I feel like 
I always remain very optimistic and I, and I always remain as someone who's always like, there's beauty in every single thing, whether it be bad, whether it be, or difficult or, you know, whatever the case may be, I feel like I'm just always someone who's like very optimistic about the future. And I'm always very hopeful of, of what's coming. And I feel like I've kind of learned that there is a lesson in everything good and bad. And I think that that's something I'm really proud of because it's very easy to be so negative and it's very easy to be like, you know, we're not going to reach our goals or, you know, this is not going to happen the way we want it to. And I feel like I'm proud that, you know, especially almost three and a half years later, I'm still doing this. We're still building it. And, um, you know, we have a, hopefully an amazing uh, journey ahead. That is so, so, so powerful. And I actually resonate a lot with what you were saying, especially in terms of optimism, always being hopeful. And with what you were saying about always realizing that there's a lesson behind everything. What I really preach a lot, especially with last year with COVID, is that every single thing happens for a reason. And regardless if you think that's factually or logically true or not, okay, maybe this doesn't happen. Maybe there isn't a plan. Maybe you don't believe in like the universe, God, whatever that may be. The idea of believing in that is so much more optimistic than believing, well, this this was for nothing. This was terrible. Like, what type of life are you going to live then if you think that when any exactly. something negative happens, you're like, okay, like, it's, it's not the idea if that's true or not. That's regardless. That is ins- inconsequential. The importance is like having that mentality, that believing everything happens reason. Because if you approach life believing that like when an obstacle approaches, oh, this is like a lesson for me. This is going to put me in a new direction you are going to approach that obstacle way more optimistically and way more like head on productively, whatever you want. Than if it's like, well, this, there's no point of this. There's nothing that's going to happen good from this. So I totally resonate with that. Um, continuing on, I think your therapist would also appreciate us asking you, what is it that you're <laughs> grateful for today? See, I'm just grateful for the opportunities I have, that I have a roof over my head, that I have my family that I have my close friends. I think that this pandemic really taught me the importance of quality over quantity. Like, I feel like I was always that person, not always, but like sometimes that person that would have FOMO, like before the pandemic, like I was always like, oh my God, I want to go hang out with this group or that group or whatever. And I feel like what I learned from this pandemic was just how grateful we should be for the little things, right? And also the people in my life that have really been there for me. And I think it made me realize that during this pandemic, like who's really been there for me through it all. And I feel like it's made me just more grateful for who I have in my life. And it's made me a lot more aware of who matters and who, no disrespect, but like who doesn't, right? Um, It's very easy just to get caught up in like wanting to be friends with everyone and like, wanting to have this huge network sometimes like for no reason but I think that what's the most important is just having those having that strong group of 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 people in your life that you can always turn to and that you can always be there for I think is what I've I'm truly truly grateful for and to end us off today um if you could sum up what it means to be a female entrepreneur what does it mean to you I would say a female entrepreneur to me is someone who is striving to make the world better, who is using her identity to create more opportunities for people who, or for underrepresented communities. Um, And 
you know, just someone who is a badass, who is not intimidated by, you know, the norms that are, I I mean, I guess societal norms and who's not intimidated by all these men holding these positions and who's like, I'm going to go change the game and, you know, and just watch me. I feel like that is a female entrepreneur. It's literally like badass women, just like who are going to make the world so much better and lead it because truth be told, I think we need more female leaders in the world. I think it would make it a much better place. I could not agree more. I always tell people there's a reason the countries that have dealt best with COVID have female leaders. New, you New know, Zealand, Taiwan, New Zealand. New Zealand yes. yes, she is my girl. I'm literally like Jacinda. I think her name is Jacinda. Jacinda's I'm amazing. Like, Jacinda. I feel like I talk she's about her like queen. she's my friend. I'm like, Jacinda, I know. She <laughs> Jacinda she, there she goes. No, yeah, no, there's Jacinda. She goes Let's go to no, mm-hmm. New Zealand. Really, no, she really hit me most. Like she, I, she really made a place in my map when there was the contrav- the terrible um shooting or bomb bombing in new zealand she's like next day she's like okay we're bombing we're, we're, we're banning we're banning guns imagine imagine she is just imagine a place so imagine. oh my god i mm-hmm. honestly i mean one of my friends i think she's i think she has a new zealand passport it's so funny and we're just like what mm-hmm. are you waiting for get out of here <laughs> yourself like this was during covid we're like save yourself um she's amazing and and i and yeah i just feel like all these all these female leaders around the world are just doing you know, such an amazing job. And I feel like I can't wait for the day where it, it it's not, it's not like, you know, um, where I, I can't wait for the day when it becomes a norm, right. Where we can literally 100%. be like amazing leaders around the world. And they happen, to, they just happen to be women. I feel like it, it's just going to be so amazing. And I'm very hopeful. 100%. Yeah. That's actually a point that Waylon talks about a lot. Like that I really resonate. She's like, it's not about like being female entrepreneurship. It's like you're an entrepreneur. You just happen to be a female. It's not like exactly. It's like your defining factor. It's not like oh, like oh, we need you because you're a female. We need you in the field. It's like no, I just happen to be a female, and I bring distinctive exactly. traits. Just as you come from a different race or academic background, like that's it. Just it's not like your defining factor. It's just like oh, that's cool that you bring this perspective or you have this experience. But it's not like be all end all. It's yeah. Really, exactly really that to life for me yeah. absolutely and I feel like this is going to be an amazing opportunity for a lot of women to see it as leverage you know it's very easy for us to see it as a hindrance sometimes right we're so, we like we're like oh my god well, well we become so self-conscious or we think like oh my god these these men are going to do it so much better like a lot of women think that way sometimes and it's like no like we have so much power And unfortunately, like society has kind of worked against us, you know what I mean, in so many ways. But again, I'm just so optimistic for what the future is going to look like once we start having more opportunities for ourselves, once we, you know, have the confidence to be able to walk into these rooms, get that money and do what we got to do to make our companies and communities so much better. Like I cannot wait for those moments. So. I and I think this conversation so is like a great place for that. Like, I think this podcast, mm-hmm. this conversation, this is it. This is it. We're putting Absolutely. it out in the world. Exactly. And for our audience who want to check you out and follow your entrepreneurial journey, where can they do that? Yeah, of course. They can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's Sophia on two underscores and then Huck, H-A-Q, and then Sophia with an F. And then LinkedIn, it's just Sophia, S-O-F-I-A, Huck. Uh, HAQ um, yeah just follow me on there and you can also check out my website I usually um, you know will try and put as many articles up I have an article actually talking about my first year as a founder and I actually 
give some tips for a lot of founders on like what I learned in that first year because that first year is rough um, and how I can hopefully help them uh, navigate their first year as well. And that's sophiahuck.com. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh my god! Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you, ladies. That wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you learned a lot from Sophia and how you can also embrace your unique identity while overcoming obstacles in your ventures. Great thanks to Stephanie Lee and Anna Johar as our podcast producers too. Check out our past episodes and look out for our upcoming episodes featuring inspired female entrepreneurs on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. To stay updated and involved, join the Entrepreneurs Podcast community on our Instagram and LinkedIn and get in touch with us to share your very own entrepreneurial journey.